Let's pray as we prepare to hear the word of the Lord. Lord, we come seeking you today. But on some level, we know that we only come seeking you because you have already come seeking and have found us and brought us into your presence. And Lord, we ask again today as we ask every week that you speak to us. Speak to us the words, not always that we want to hear, but that we need to hear so that we can grow closer to you, so that we can live more the lives that you designed and call us to live. Lord, if there are any, any internal barriers that keep us from hearing your word, we pray that you would take those away. And if, if there are any distractions or, or anything else getting in the way of having us hear you, then Lord, we pray that you work through your word and your spirit so that we hear you clearly and well today. Help us to see Jesus, to receive the good news, and to follow you. Amen. So we're concluding a series today, At Home in Exile. I'm going to be preaching on Jeremiah 29 again this morning, and then this evening we'll be back, and I'll wrap up the series with a little bit more on on 1 Peter. And this series, At Home in Exile, we're thinking about how, how do we live as Christians at home? How do we really have roots and and be settled, while at the same time recognizing that we live in exile, that we are not truly ultimately home in so many senses. Before we read today's text, I, I want to give a couple bits of orientation to what we're doing here. First, I want to talk a little bit about being defenders of the faith and missionaries. Every sermon in this series, I've talked a little bit about, about different ways that we might withdraw or assimilate, different ways we as Christians might relate to culture. And I think some of us have a tendency, and this is not language unique to me, by the way. I got it from an article that got it from a book that got it from who knows where. But some of us have a tendency to say we need to defend the faith. We need to step back from anything that might lead to compromise. We need to make it really clear this is Christian, this is not. We must draw the line. And others of us might have the opposite tendency of saying, the good news is intended for the world, and so what we need to do is we we need to minimize distractions from the gospel, and and we need to shape our lives and our presentations in such a way that, that we graciously invite people in. Do we... Do we defend the faith and so withdraw? Do we see ourselves as missionaries and so tend to go down a slope that often leads to compromise and assimilation? Or do we find, do we find something else, some other way to relate as Christians to the cultural moment we're in? We're going to come back to this at the end of the sermon, but I wanted to get that in your head. Do we, do we defend the faith? Do we go out with the gospel? How do we, how do we live as Christians today? we're going to have, this is switching a little bit to looking at the text now, we're going to reread a number of verses that we have read before. We're going to read Jeremiah 29, 1 to 23. And I wrestled with different ways to put together this sermon series because there's kind of some, some looping back here. So Jeremiah 29, 1 to 7 really focuses on seek the shalom of the city. And we did a sermon on that a couple weeks ago. And then there's this little bit in there that we didn't do much with, that, that there's this phrase, don't, or a couple verses, don't listen to the false prophets. And then you come to this next bit, 10 to 14, that's about seek the Lord and his plan. So seek the shalom of the city, don't listen to the false prophets, seek the Lord and his plan. And then there's these next verses that most people who get into this part of Jeremiah just ignore because they're kind of scary. And they're scary because the Lord judges false prophets. 
So that's, that's what the whole text looks like, and I decided to wrap up by reading the whole thing, and we're going to do a little bit of review and work through this whole text, because I think we need to hear, we need to hear the good news, but we also need to hear some of the challenges that Jeremiah has for us as God's people. So that's, that's kind of the outline of the text we're going to be reading, and I wanted you to be able to hear the text with that in mind. So with that, let's turn to Jeremiah 29. You're welcome to grab one of the Bibles and the benches and follow along. Otherwise, the words will be on the screen. Hear now the word of the Lord. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the artisans, had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisa, son of Shaphan, and to Gemara, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. You may say, the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon, but this is what the Lord says about the king who sits on David's throne and all the people who remain in this city, your countrymen who did not go with you into exile. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will send the sword, famine, and plague against them, and I will make them like poor figs that are so bad they cannot be eaten. I will pursue them with the sword, famine, and plague, and will make them abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth, and an object of cursing and horror, of scorn and reproach among all the nations where I drive them. For they have not listened to my words, declares the Lord, words that I sent to them again and again by my servants, the prophets. And you exiles have not listened either, declares the Lord. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all you exiles whom I have sent away from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says about Ahab, son of Kaliah, and Zedekiah, son of Masaiah, who are prophesying, prophesying lies to you in my name. I will hand them over to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he will put them to death before your very eyes. Because of them, all the exiles from Judah who are in Babylon will use this curse. The Lord treat you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon burned in the fire, for they have done outrageous things in Israel. They have committed adultery with their neighbor's wives, and in my name have spoken lies, which I did not tell them to do. I know it, 
and I am a witness to it, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So we're going to start by, again, circling back to the beginning of this text and talking about seeking the shalom of the city, seeking the shalom of the city. And, and remember, if you were here a couple weeks ago, and if not, this is new, I guess, but remember that these people who the letter is addressed to are in Babylon. Babylon, a terrible, evil city, a place that is messy and miserable and full of sin and trouble. And so when the people looked at Babylon, what they saw was a horrific mess. And let me, let me give you a little bit of a, a picture of that. So when we, when we lived in Africa for a few years, we had a house that was absolutely awful. From the minute it was built, it was a problem. It was kind of built at the bottom of a hill, so all the rain would run down the hill and then kind of stop under our house. So when it rained, we could see the concrete on the floor change color as the water kind of pooled underneath the house. And then after every rain, this white mold grew up out of the floor. Sometimes it'd get like that high all over the place. It was wonderful with little kids. And besides the water running down the hill and under the house, we had no running water. So if we wanted water for cooking for anything, we had to haul it ourselves. And, and we kind of had electricity, but, but not really. And all the screens were, were too big. So we had screens, but bugs could get right through them, which is endlessly frustrating when you're sitting there at night and you're just seeing the bugs come in and they're all over you. And oh, it's awful. And the floor, because of all the rain, is always cracking up and and the building is settling, so there was these walls that you could see through. You could go up and you could look from room to room, and you'd patch it up, and then it'd break again. And there were bats in the attic, and there was a queen termite who lived underneath the house and kept throwing up little termite mounds all around the house and inside the house. It was awful. But that was where God called us. And so we looked around at the mess, and we said, all right, we'll get out the anti-termite stuff, and we'll go chase the bats out again, and we'll patch the concrete floor, and we'll, we'll build new pillars on the house to stop the settling, and we'll try to fix the electricity, and, 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 and. We'll do the best we can to make this a better place. And that's what the Lord calls us as his people to do when we live in Babylon. There are all kinds of things with every culture in the history of the world in every situation that you can look around and you can say, that's not right, and 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 that's not right. But instead of telling his people to complain, what the Lord tells his people to do is to seek the peace and prosperity of the city, of the culture, of the place where he, in his providence, has put us at this time. This is where we are. We seek the peace of the place we live. And now I want to, there's a sense where we could always be called to do more, but I want to give what I hope are, are some words of encouragement for us. Because I think in a lot of ways, we do seek the peace of the city. You might be a teacher, you might be in the medical field, you might pick up garbage, you might run the books, you might... You might do any number of things, and I could list all the vocations we have, and, and in every single one of them, if we do them well, if we do them well, then we are seeking the peace of the city already. Whether you are at home raising children or you are in a skyscraper downtown, you can do whatever it is that comes to your hands well, and that is a way of seeking the peace and prosperity of the city. Part of what this text calls us to is simply to settle down and to be good neighbors, to be good nurses, to be good engineers, to be good teachers, to be good 
to be good tradesmen. Whatever you are doing, if you do it well, you are fulfilling the call in this text. And, and from what I know of, of our congregation, by and large, we are people who do this well. We do our work well, and, and for a paycheck, sure, but often also for more than that, to, to make things that are good, to serve people, to, to help make life better, to address the evil in the world. We do this already. We can always do it more, but we do this already. And then I want to talk a little bit about where we are as a church with some of this, and a little bit of where we are and a little bit of a dream. So we had our classes meeting a couple weeks ago, and that's where all the area CRCs get together and have long, boring meetings that sometimes are interesting and most often are not. But we had a presentation there, and there was a guy who came to talk about church renewal and church planning and how to have church go better these days and all kinds of things. And, and at one point, I, I said to him, because I know the church he comes from, and it's a very wealthy church with lots of people with deep pockets and some superstar staff and just amazing resources. And I said, you know, not, not all of us have that. We don't. And what are, what are we supposed to do when all the things that you're telling us that we need to do depend on having a few millionaires in the congregation? What, what are we supposed to do with that? And the guy kind of fumbled a little bit. And then someone from Ebenezer in Berwyn turned around and said, that's not right. Because what you at faith do, what you at faith do, I mean, look what you do for us. You, you run our basketball ministry and you serve at our food pantry and you, you volunteer with all these things and you've loaned us an elder and, and you, you help us with money. And, and, and she just went on with this whole list of ways that we've partnered with Ebenezer over the last few years. And, and she said, you know, you've got our back. We know that as hard as our neighborhood is, you've got our back at faith. And I sort of said, well, thank you very much. I didn't. But I think there are things that we sometimes underestimate how, how the little things we do actually have an impact that is far beyond our walls. And we need to hear that sometimes. I think also we need to be asking, what more can we do beyond our walls? And one of the things that we have to keep putting to the side right now, because we don't really have enough staff to, to headline this, is to ask, how can we be more engaged in seeking the peace of the city? What are things that we can do because we are in, we're really in a healthy place as a church right now. What are the things we can do to serve more, to care more, to do more outside our walls? So I invite you as we hopefully in the next while add more staff and get some things running more to be in prayer and reflection. What would it look like for us as a church to do more, to seek the peace of the place where God has put us? So, seeking the shalom of the city. And that's hard, but, but there's a lot of ways we're doing that well. But then this passage gets a lot harder. It's a lot harder. Verses 8 and 9 tell us to reject the false prophets. We should reject the false prophets. And you might expect people living in Babylon, God's people brought into exile to this evil city, would of course be told to reject the prophets. But here is the haunting troubling part that should get under our skin are the prophets that the people are told to reject are they the babylonian prophets no they're not these are prophets from god's own people ahab and zedekiah from a to z are, are named and shamed here as prophets who are getting it wrong down the line and and they are god's prophets they are at least the prophets of God's people. It's not the people of Babylon that the Lord is condemning and judging here. It's not. 
The Lord is judging his own people. The Lord judges us. The Lord judges us. So you know, when we talk about a house in Nigeria that feels far away and like, oh yeah, of course it's terrible there. But we uh, can't remember exactly which home service it was, but there was a time we came home from Africa and we went to visit one of my cousins and they just gotten married, didn't have a lot of money, so they just found a place to live and we drove up and we thought, can someone live here? Really? It looked like someone had built like four little shacks and then driven them together and they were all leaning at different angles. And we walk in and the front of the back door opens into the kitchen. And I think if you poured a glass of water on one end of the kitchen, you couldn't outrace the water to the other end. I think in, a, in the space of about an eight foot kitchen, there was this much of a slope. The most I have ever seen in a standing building. But okay. And then we go, and none of the doors open and shut because it's all crooked. And, and we sit down, and we look at their fireplace, and their fireplace has these plants kind of smacked against the inside of the glass like they're about to break through and take over the house. And we say, what's with that? And oh, yeah, this whole like, vine has grown up the outside of the whole house and pulled some pieces off, and then it's come down the chimney, and bit by bit, it's creating more and more pressure on the glass of the fireplace. And it does look kind of like a horror movie where eventually it's just going to smash the glass open, and these vines are going to come out and eat all of us and everything about the house was like that like you didn't lean against a wall because you were afraid you were going to push the whole house over and this is in america this is home this is where we live and what this text is doing is not looking at babylon and saying oh look at how look at how crooked the floors are and look at all the problems what it's doing is looking at looking at us looking at god's people and saying saying you're broken, you're out of level, everything is wrong. The king who sits on David's throne in Jerusalem is condemned here. The people who would say they were God's prophet are con- prophets are condemned and judged. And throughout scripture, there's this, there's this line, this, this recurring theme of Babylon is as the mother of all evil cities. And if you go to Revelation, Babylon becomes the symbol of all that is evil, the powers of the world, everything that is terrible. And there's this other line that runs through Scripture of the good city, of the city of Jerusalem, of of the holy city, of the place where God dwells. And and the new Jerusalem is the place where God will dwell with his people forever. There's Babylon and there's Jerusalem. And Babylon is bad and Jerusalem is good. But here in Jeremiah 29... Here in Jeremiah 29, it tells us that if we think because, because we're in Jerusalem or because we belong to God's people one way or another that we're fine, well, that's not how it is. It's just not how it is. God has, God has a perfect level or a plumb line if you prefer that, a, a thing that can show you at least what's straight even if you can't achieve it. God's level comes to all of us, comes to our lives, comes even to our churches and tells us we're not good enough. Tells us that the message that we are hearing might not be God's message. If Jeremiah was a letter written to us, there'd be a chance we'd read that letter and it would be condemning, condemning me, condemning you. And I I twitch a little bit at putting us in that position because I sure don't want to be a false prophet. And if I am, then I better not be up here. And I sure don't want you to be following false prophets or following false things. But this text commands us 
and forces us to wrestle with whether we are really in tune with God's word, with his ways, or whether we are missing the boat. What are we doing? What are we doing? We would like, we would like to draw the line between good and evil right here and say, I'm on the good side. I'm not one of those evil people. But the fact of the matter is that in this world, we all have a foot on both sides of that line. And the line between good and evil runs right through the middle of each one of us. And we have, we have, we have to wrestle with that. There is a place in the New Testament at the Last Supper when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper that he looks around at his disciples, at his closest 12 followers, and he says to them, one of you, one of you around this table is going to betray me. And of course, we all know it's Judas, and none of us is Judas, and we all know that he's the bad guy, but, but as they go around the table and they ask, is it I? Is it I, Lord? Is it I? The answer for every single one of them is that yes, yes, you all will betray me. Because yes, Judas hands him over to be crucified, but Peter denies him three times, and all the rest of the disciples run away. At Jesus' worst hour of need, they all step away from him. And so it's, well, just as with the 12 apostles themselves, so for all of us, we need to ask, is it I, Lord? Is it I? Am I betraying the Lord in, in what I believe? Am I taking the true good news of Jesus and mixing it up with some other things that don't belong there? And I, am I betraying the Lord in how I act toward others? Am I living in a way? Am I saying things or doing things that do not represent Jesus well? Is it I, Lord? And the answer is absolutely yes. It is all of us who routinely betray the Lord. This is judgment not on them, but on us. On us. And here's the thing. And we could talk about judgment from a number of angles, but, but we should actually welcome God's judgment. I know that's incredibly uncomfortable. I know we don't like to be under the microscope, but, but we should welcome God's judgment because God knows what's right and he knows what's wrong. He knows what's straight and he knows what's crooked. And if we aren't told what's wrong, we will never fix it. So often we people are living in houses that are crooked and broken and under tremendous stress. And if we don't recognize that, we can't do anything to make it better. And so often, not always I don't think, but almost all the time when the Bible comes with messages of judgment, the point is not, ha ha, judgment is coming for you. The point is, look at how wrong this is. And so turn back to God. And so turn back to God. The Lord judges in part to help us recognize that we need judgment and we need change. And this is, this is good news because, well, the gospel, gospel literally means good news. And the thing is that if we make up our own gospel, if we make up our own good news, if we say this is how life is and this is what I want for my life and this is how it all works, and if we are not aligned with the gospel of Jesus Christ, then any other gospel that we make is less than the gospel of Jesus. If you make up your own gospel, if you make up your own good news, your own story to tell yourself about life, I can 100% guarantee you it will not be as good. 
it will not be as objectively good or as good for you as the good news of Jesus Christ is. God judges us so that he can give us his grace. And again, I can guarantee you that any story you tell yourself, any gospel that you make up, any good news that you could put together, it will not be as good as the good news of Jesus Christ. So even as we sit under judgment, even as we sit under judgment, we also sit, sit with hope. And how do we find that hope? How do we find that hope? We find that hope by seeking the Lord. We need the gospel every moment. We need again and again to hear the good news of Jesus Christ who came to save us and to bring us home. Calvin, at the beginning of his institutes, talked about how, how true religion consists of knowing God and knowing ourselves. True religion consists of knowing God and knowing ourselves. It consists, it consists in recognizing that God is good, that He is right, that He has the level, and in recognizing that we are not right, that we are broken and twisted and turned around. And so what do we need to do? And you know, you can fix, or at least God can fix, any house. But if you don't know what's wrong, you don't know what to do about it. And too often we want to do things like paint a room or, or put new curtains up when the roof is leaking. What we need to do is tear off all the shingles and rebuild. Or maybe what we need to do, and maybe this is the point you're at in your life, that what you need to do is you need to crank up the whole structure, wipe out the foundation underneath, and start with a whole new foundation. But until we're willing to seek the Lord and to let the Lord tell us what is wrong with our spiritual house, what is wrong with the structure of our life, we are stuck living in crooked houses that will hurt us and will fall down. And so the Lord invites us to seek Him. And He tells us that when we seek Him, we will find Him. And maybe, maybe all you need to do in your life, spiritually speaking right now, is put up some new curtains. Or maybe there's a big crack in the wall that you've been wallpapering over again and again and it keeps splitting. It's time. It's time to open things up and really let the Lord get to work in you. And I want to close with a couple tools for how to work this out. Probably not quite as practical as you might want, but a couple tools to reflect on. And that is to seek both truth and wisdom. Seek both truth and and wisdom. And this brings us back to that language we started with, with defender of the faith and missionary. That there are some of us who really want to seek truth, and we should lean into that. The world has a certain structure to it. We need, we need to listen to the Lord to see how it is. Listen to the word of the Lord. And so we need, to, we need to look to Jesus and we need to reflect on his life and we, we need to listen to the whole storyline of the Bible and see what we can do to have our lives and our, well, our thinking and our living reflect the whole storyline of the gospel. And, and we need to make sure that we are standing within the confines of, of the broader church and, and doing things in the way that the Lord would have us do them. We need to seek truth. We need to be defenders of the faith. Now the thing of it is that some of us want to just live here. We want to just be over here and say, this is right, that's wrong, end of story, take it or leave it. And there are times for that, but, but that's not the only way we need to function these days. We also need wisdom. 
we also need to be able to, to recognize, well, to recognize what we are bringing to the Lord. To recognize that so often we want our experience to shape what we hear from God. And, and yes, experience can help us, but ultimately it's God who gets to pronounce the authoritative word, not what I think or what I feel. And we need the wisdom to recognize that there are unchanging truths, but at the same time, there are different strategies for different times. And the things that worked and were right five years ago or 50 years ago or 1,500 or 2,500 years ago might be things we need to go back to or might be things we need to step away from. We need to be missionaries. And we also need to be defenders of the faith. And all of us, all of us probably lean one way or the other. And my guess would be a lot of you are nervous with one or the other. Like when he's talking about defending the faith, what if that, what if that means not caring about people? And when he's talking about being a missionary, what if that means compromising the truth? Those are both valid concerns. But what we are called to do in this season is to be both. Is not to withdraw from the world not to withdraw into our own enclave, but to bring the good news to the world and also not to compromise with the world, not to just assimilate and look like everybody else, but to be something strikingly different. This is what we are called to as God's people. We are called to hold on to truth. We are called when we recognize what is true to never let go of it, to never bend it, to never compromise it, to say this this, based on what the Lord says, is what is straight and level. And so this is what we think, and this is what we do. But at the same time, we need, to, we need to be able to look at the world and say, this is where this needs some work. This is how we need to shape this message so that it is heard today and so that we draw people closer to Jesus. This is the call to, to hold on to truth and also to pass truth on. And you know what? It's impossible. It's impossible. None of us gets this right. All of us, all of us, even if it's just at specific moments, even if we have all the right intentions and all the right knowledge, we still mess this up. And so at the end of the day, this message is not go out and make the city how you want it to be or, or do this or do that. At the end of the day, the message is look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is truth unchanging. Jesus is the one who comes to us. And as we see in the gospels, he speaks truth in ways that challenge everybody. That call everyone who, is, who thinks they're right and everyone who is wrong to see that really God is right and we are all wrong. Jesus is the best defender of faith of all. And so we can look to him and, and find out what it is we need to defend. But at the same time, Jesus is the great missionary. The incarnation is Jesus taking on our human nature, becoming, becoming one of us so that he could speak to us. And ultimately, bringing those two realities together in his suffering and death to save us. So the motto is not, go out and do this. The motto is, see what Jesus has done. See what Jesus has done. And then as we pay more and more attention to him, that overflows into us being able to really do what is right, seek what is right, be God's people. This is our call to, 
to be more and more at home in Jesus, to draw closer and closer to Him, to find our identity more and more wrapped up with Jesus and His ways, and at the same time, more and more to be confident and faithful exiles who, who look to the Lord more and more and who also present Him better and better, more and more clearly in more and more compelling ways to those around us. We also are broken, but Jesus, Jesus has made us His home. And he is at work making us right. And so we are called to be his representatives, to be his people. Let us bring Christ to our culture today. Let's pray. Father, we don't like to hear that we also sit under judgment. When we hear the the part of the good news that sounds like bad news, we want to reject it or push it away or think it's for, for the person across the street or the person next to us. But Father, we, recognizing that this is brave and foolish, we do want you to show us how we are wrong, how we are bent and twisted, how our lives are out of sync with you. Lord, we ask that you would that you would show us the places where we stand under judgment. And Lord, in your grace, we ask that you not do that in a way that destroys us, but in a way that opens us up, that opens us up to see the good news of Jesus and how we can, how we can grow and become healthier and, and greater people in your service, more and more able to bring real peace to those around us, less and less distracted by other causes and more and more focused on you. Lord, for us, this is impossible. But we know that in you, all things are possible according to your plan. And so, Lord, help us to know your plan. Help us to follow your plan. Help us to live more and more in the life Jesus has given us. And we pray all this in your name. Amen.